Welcome to The Upload. I'm Allison Bektesh. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're well. This week, we hear from hometown X Games hero Alex Ferreira on the eve of the 2021 event occurring at Buttermilk Mountain this weekend. It's my busiest <laughs> week of the year, and I'm just going to ski, put my music in, and not worry about anything. But first, we turn to News of the Week with the Aspen Daily News News team. Thanks for listening to The Upload. is currently under red level public health restrictions, severely limiting private interactions amongst residents and banning all indoor dining at local restaurants. While local officials don't know why the region led the state in the incident of positive cases, they say the numbers are going down. Additionally, immunization events have begun for the older population. Among all this, the Aspen School District is working out the balance of in-person and remote learning. A question that has risen to the biggest story of the week I have with me now, Megan Taggett. Hi, Megan. Hey, Allison. Thanks for having me. And Erica Robbie. Hi, Erica. Hey, Allison. Thanks for having us. We both have stories on this topic this week. Thank you both for joining me. Okay, we're going to go through this uh, chronologically for those who haven't dug into your stories, though I recommend going online, AspenDailyNews.com to read both of them. Megan, I'll start with you. It sounds like the rift between a specific school board member and local teachers came to a head in a school board meeting earlier this month. So let's start with what happened during that meeting. Yeah, Katie Frisch, uh, who alongside Jonathan Nickel is one of the newer school board members, but um, has really kind of made it her trademark that she doesn't shy away from speaking her mind. And during the school board meeting expressed outright frustration, there's no other way to say it, uh, toward the quarantines that are happening among specifically teacher staff in the seventh to 12th grade levels. And, you know, because of those quarantines and the substitute shortage that accompanies their staffing problems right now, the school district doesn't have enough subs to fill in for teachers who have to quarantine. So therefore, while the elementary school has been stably in classrooms, seventh to 12th grade has not found that balance. And they're constantly finding themselves spending a week at a time back remotely. And Katie, basically without naming anyone specifically, said that that is, you know, because of poor decision-making on the teacher's point. Okay, so school board member Katie Frisch makes these comments in a public meeting that if the teachers just stayed at home and isolated more, we would have in-person learning. Then on Friday, the teachers union responds to that statement. So what was that about? I was pretty taken aback, actually. Uh, the, The Aspen Education Association dropped this pretty kind of mic drop press release on a Friday evening and it was issuing a two it was a two-part or two paragraph statement um the first paragraph really going after I mean condemning Katie Frisch's statements and saying that it was completely inappropriate to bring up personnel matters in the middle of a public meeting they were appalled and offended Um, And I really wasn't sure what to do with it, because if I can't get a hold of Katie Frisch on a Friday evening, then I don't have a story, right? Until that second paragraph was talking about, and as students return back into classrooms this week, and when I learned that that was actually no longer even accurate, and they were in fact going to have to quarantine another week, that's when I realized, okay, no, this is hard news regardless. And then I happened to be able to get a hold of everybody I needed to get a hold of. Okay, so we learn that the school board 
at least one school board member thinks that this is the teacher's fault. The teacher's union is coming to the, the kind of teacher's aid and saying, this was totally inappropriate for you to be saying this in a public setting. Um, and it's not the teacher's fault, right? That, that COVID is still in existence in our community. Um, Erica, you then brought to light, you spoke with teachers directly this week. And it sounds like this wasn't just offhanded comments in the school board meeting this month, but that this is actually this is kind of the blame game, as you called it, work environment that the teachers have been in uh, since this fall. Correct, Allison. And just to be clear, the blame game were not my words, but rather uh, the teachers. And yes, it sounds like this conversation really started in November following a spike in COVID-19 cases after Halloween. And the sentiment there being that teachers and staff and perhaps students and, you know, people within the district within the community were gathering for Halloween and having parties. So that's when we started to see teachers, you know, writing letters to be at the board, the administration. Uh, and what I found most um, compelling in reporting this story is the number of teachers I've since heard from uh, who have reached out today and said, essentially, thank you for shedding light on this issue, you know, we, and, and giving, giving teachers a voice because understandably, teachers don't want to speak out and, and, you know, put a voice to this when it could mean jeopardizing their jobs and their, their livelihoods and their, their paychecks and, you know, their families. So there's, there's so much more to it than, um, than that. But, you know, we had a conversation this week about anonymous sources and what we wanted to do with that. And, you know, Megan, our fearless leader made clear that, you know, if we're going to, if we're going to make, if we're going to put claims out there, they need to be attributed to a human. And Megan, let's talk about that because people reading the story don't know how much background conversation there is in a newsroom when, when you have a piece like that. So if reporters are hearing rumblings that um, educators are, are insulted and, and don't feel like they're in a good environment and we can't do the story because they don't want to talk to us because they think they're going to lose their job, then, then how do we play that out? It's a story worth telling to the public and we have a policy to not use anonymous sources. As I told Erica when she first came to me saying that she had a lot of sources, but they were all reticent to go on record because of this perception that, you know, there was a fear of potential retaliation from the district. I do want to make it very clear that that is just a perception. Um, I, I, we don't have any reason to believe that there would have been retaliation beyond that expression um, from multiple sources. And so I really pushed Erica and I pushed back hard. I said, we have to have, we have to have them come on record or else there isn't a story. And I do think from when Erica and I were working on this together, the feedback she gave me was that she got the sense that there was sort of this strength in numbers, right? You know, she did a brilliant job telling her sources, oh, don't worry, I'm also talking to other people. And so I think that that kind of created a little bit of um, bravery for lack of a better word. And Erica, with, with real names, we also got real stories. So we learned in your, in your piece that for instance, um, an educator was working with a student who confided in her that the parent said, don't tell your teacher that you're sick. So she was working with a sick student. She later did test positive for COVID-19. And, and why I bring up that story in particular, I mean, it's awful that um, someone with a known sickness would go make others sick, even if it's not COVID, right? But because of some of the compassion that you have to have for all the families 
um, and all the members of the community who are involved in this conversation. If that's a young kid and that mother has to go to work, you know, she has to make money in order to, to get the kids dinner or she's not capable of doing the at-home learning. It's really better for the student to have the teacher who's trained in this to be there. And so she's trying to hide a, a kid's sickness so the kid can be in school for whatever reason that the teacher then gets sick. The teacher can't, can't operate her classroom and then get scolded by the school board. So it's like this huge circle, but um, you have some really good real stories because we have real names. I think it's also worth noting that that teacher in particular is a special education teacher. I think a, a lot of what this story unfolded were was exactly that, perspectives that we haven't considered because we haven't seen them because they are unprecedented and we are, there's, there's no other word. That word is so overused, but there isn't another word to describe what we're experiencing, you know, even the issue of to what level should the administration, to what to what level should they be allowed to comment on or, or speculate or, or have have knowledge of their staff's personal lives? I mean, there's, you know, you can argue both ways. And, and look, the the bottom line is that we there is not a clear answer. And, you know, I hope that was made clear. I hope it was clear that there's no clear answer. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> I just realized what I said. Um, but the bottom line is that there's, you know, there's, it, it's worth talking about. It's worth figuring out. You know, we there there should be a consensus or or some type of you know middle ground or something because right now these are uncharted waters that the school is navigating, and you know clearly people feel very passionately on both sides of the issue. Well, at the heart of both of your stories was was what's fact and what's fiction with this study. Like, can you even get? COVID from, from a school. And there's a quote from Katie Frisch saying kids are safer when they're in school, which in my mind, there's absolutely no way you are safer around 20 other households, whether you're following protocols or not, than, at, than in your own home, being exposed to no one. Like that, I think there are fundamental just understandings that, that aren't even being agreed upon. So then how do you build a procedure and policy on top of that? And that argument, I mean, there's anecdotal evidence here in this valley that points to yes and no, right? Like on the one hand, you know, yeah, if you're in your own household, of course that's safer. Like virtual learning is objectively going to be safer than in classroom. But again, both of those scenarios assume that you're following the rules. The argument for you're safer in school is very much the argument of, you know, think back. I, I can tell you 15 year old me would not have been an angel right now. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm ashamed to say, but I would probably be bending the rules and finding reasons for the cognitive dissonance and mental gymnastics necessary to justify hanging out with my bestie or whatever. So that's the argument. That is the underlying argument that I have heard from much more than just Katie Frisch about why they would be better in a structured environment than an unstructured one, right? Not in isolation necessarily. Yes. Okay. Yes. There's not an assumption that just because you're virtual means you're you're sticking to your household and following the yeah. rules. Well, and let's roll with Katie's perspective a little longer then. I think every one of our friend groups probably has that one friend who is not following the rules, has has had COVID more than once in the last 10 months, right? So some people know that the public health order says one household only knows that you're not supposed to to be out, knows that you need to be maintaining distances and wearing masks, and yet they don't. So is she so wrong in saying one or two of the teachers might be that person? You know, the, the, the quote where she's like, this is an HR issue, like someone, like she's, it seemed like she had interior knowledge that someone is going to get disciplined by their boss. 
because they're like outright disobeying public health orders. Is she wrong? <laughs> Feels a little loaded, but <laughs> what I will say, uh, well, two things there, Allison. One, uh, I thought the, uh, another teacher whom we haven't brought up made an excellent point in drawing attention to the fact that the current public health order is that you are supposed to remain within your household and yet that completely contradicts the notion of a teacher showing up for school, performing a lesson before 20 children of 20 different families. So like there's, I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up. Um, so there is that. And the other part of it too, is I think to look at children as variables in this equation is to the, to the point of some of the teachers, a flawed concept, um, you know, the teachers just trying to explain to me the way middle school boys operate and, and are wrestling and, you know, their, their masks aren't secure to their face and they might come off. And, you know, the child with ADHD, which was me, is not going to sit in their seat. Like that's just, you know, these are just the realities of we're not dealing with variables in an equation. We're dealing with children. So Megan, what do you know? Erica brings up a great point that, you know, that we have these public health orders that the entire, anyone who's in the county resident or not needs to be following. And then we have the school district, the school board deciding um, how many people can gather within a school, like whose jurisdiction is what? Are they even talking to each other and working together? Yes, they are talking to each other and working together. I can at least tell you that. Um, the Picking County Public Health and, and actually um, Aspen Valley Hospital as a support arm to Pitkin County uh, have been very, very regularly in contact with and in consultation with the school district. And I guess like, the root of my question is from this um, quote in Erica's story of a woman who's like, I'm hearing two different things, stay at home on the weekend, hang out with 20 independent families in my own classroom. So, you know, how can the same board of health that's telling us don't go spend time with one other friend on a hike, mm -hmm. uh, tell, tell a school district, but it's totally fine for all of you to be in a room, an enclosed room together. I, I think the inconsistency makes some resentment. Oh, out for sure. And, you know, I think it's really interesting that, um, David Baugh, the superintendent, had said during an ACRA meeting earlier today, I didn't realize this, but the district had canceled school sports for until later, <laughs> February 1st or 4th or something. I apologize. I don't remember the exact date, but um, I didn't realize that canceling school sports, part of that decision was to stand in solidarity with the local business community that is being impacted by the red level restrictions. They didn't feel that it was right for restaurants, for instance, to be so impacted while school sports were still happening. But that is sort of a similar parallel, the classroom to restaurant, right? It goes back to that controlled environment. It, it does beg that question of you still have a bunch of people, even if they're socially distanced, even if they're wearing masks, in that classroom environment, similarly as they would have been inside of a restaurant. And we decided that that wasn't safe. So it, it, it is an interesting nuanced conversation and almost any point you bring up, there's an opportunity for devil's advocate. No matter which side of which point, there's always an opportunity to say, but what about, you know? And it's the balancing act. And, and that's why I think Erica did a really nice job of um, very responsibly stewarding people's very high running emotions right now. Yeah. Well, thank you, Megan. I can't believe you don't remember the day that the sports resume. How dare you come on this podcast? <laughs> Erica, you mentioned earlier in the um, 
in the program. And, and I think this is one of the hearts of the questions that the district's going to have to figure out and work out with the teachers is what, what do employers get to know about your private life? And this isn't just the school. I think this is, um, you know, restaurants is a great example, hotels, yep. even the newsroom, right? Like I am trusting my coworkers to not be bringing COVID to the office. And so is everyone else in the world right now. And, and who, you know, the, technically these teachers should be under the public health orders, right? Like that's the public is supposed to be adhering to them. Um, and so if your boss finds out that you broke a law, broke an ordinance, like how, how much, and not just school districts, um, is this making you guys think about what bosses get to know about how you're spending your free time? This is a funny question to ask our boss, Allison. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to point that out. Um, one point I wanted to bring up was from a teacher who, um, who simply asked that the district either follow their own protocols or lead by example, maybe. Um, part of the story also was that, uh, you know, the school board member, Katie Frisch, went to Mexico with her family last month. And I think that feels completely unfair. As you mentioned, one of the things was canceling spring break, right? So we can go, I can go on holiday because my job actually isn't um, front facing. And so I can quarantine when I get back. You, however, are a teacher, you don't get to have a vacation because you're supposed to be in the classroom. You know, like there are these that I think that did present some tiered expectations for depending on, on what sector you work in. That was pretty astounding. Um, not only that, that, that her family got COVID. You aptly quoted her that pointing out her personal life is the same as the school board going after the teacher's personal life and saying, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. It's kind of this like um, tattletale theme that we saw right away when COVID started, right? That people were like, well, I saw someone at a park and trying to get the sheriff's office to show up. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think we can't talk about the story without you mentioning that Katie went to Florida because all the teachers are mentioning it, right? It came up. Mexico. Yes. Um, yes, it did come up. And you know, she's heard it too. She, she admitted that and she felt the need to clarify, by the way, I did not contract COVID in Mexico and come back to Aspen. I contracted it in Aspen and then went to Mexico or, you know, however, however that the events there unfolded, but, but, you know, as she said, as she was quoted, as the teachers say, so, or as, as I've heard some teachers say, so, um, yeah, that was a narrative going around, um, because that's part of the work environment, right? Like you're feeling this blame game and you're feeling unfair standards. Like that is why um, teachers were wary to talk. Like, well, we don't even get to play by the same rules. So we don't know what's gonna happen if we talk. Well, and I do think that, you know, it is it, like this blame game, quote unquote, is the perfect descriptor for this. And it is a little bit of glass houses, right? And so to your larger, more existential question of, you know, how much is someone's personal life how much does one's personal life really deserve to be under public scrutiny like that? You know, I remember Katie's response to um, Erica asking about Mexico. She got very defensive and said, well, I don't see why that's relevant. But meanwhile, teachers are also upset at, at, at the very same time that they're pointing to Katie's personal life and her quote unquote poor decisions. They're using that as a defense saying, how dare she point toward our quote unquote poor decisions in our personal lives. Now, as far as my perspective as quote unquote boss lady or whatever, um, I can tell you my personal philosophy is uh, I, it's none of my business. It's what you do in your personal time. That's, you know, are you, are you able to do your job effectively? And you know, then, then it's, it's truly not. And as far as from a legal perspective, yeah, it's not illegal for you to 
care what I do. Yes, I was just going to say from a legal perspective, it's certainly not my business. And, you know, I mean, the, the lot, we, we did a story recently uh, that Erica reported on how law enforcement is kind of shifting its philosophy more toward enforcement. Um, and they acknowledge that uh, breaking the public health order is a misdemeanor. Granted, it's a, it's a class one misdemeanor, so it's the most severe of the misdemeanors, but it's still a misdemeanor and they'll be issuing citations. Just as if you all got pulled over and slapped with a nasty ticket for reckless driving or whatever, your job's not on the line for that. I have no reason to even know about that. So, I mean, that's kind of my perspective on it. So I'll conclude with one other point that I'm so glad you included in your story, Erica. And and first of all, like just to even infer that spring break for all teachers would mean what we think spring break looks like for college students, for instance, that these teachers who are grownups with families would be going and partying and contracting COVID somewhere is so presumptive. It, I mean, that I think it, that is an insulting way to phrase it. And and one of the, I mean, maybe they just need a break, right? That's the point. Why would Why are you thinking that spring break means vacation? It might literally just mean a week here where you're taking a break because it's been, a, like you said, the hardest year to ever be a teacher. On top of that, Erica, I learned in your story, some of our teachers have a second job. Spring break wouldn't even mean they could leave if they wanted to because they still have the other job they need to to, um, perform. Pay the bills. (laughs) Right? And this great perspective that one of the teachers added that it's to their own detriment for them to be out partying. Of course they're not because they care about the kids and they want to be in the classroom because they don't want to get COVID themselves. And because when they're not working, they're not getting paid and they need the money. They don't have that option to, to just get sick for a, a little while and have a, a month long recovery for, you know, a respiratory disease. So the teachers, they also have the, the economic um, incentive to not be, be out partying. You know what, Allison? I'm about to grace your podcast with two little tidbits of knowledge that did not make it to my story. Yeah, um, you make an excellent point. I did speak with a teacher who, you know what, you know, you guys know when you're reporting, when you're not, they don't say off the record, but you can tell they don't really want you to put that in. So you err on the side of caution and you don't because you respect your sources. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had one of those moments with one of them. I mean, this is not going you know, to blow your minds, but she was just saying how unbelievably exhausted the teachers are and the, uh, the way she actually framed it was every single break from school has been a marker. So she was like, I, she was like, I didn't think I'd get to, to winter break. Honestly, wow. made it to winter break right now. Her, the marker is spring break. So the, the mere notion of robbing teachers of that for some of them right now is soul crushing. So secondly, I received an email from a teacher in the school district sent to one of the teachers who spoke sent to me um, and it was, it was a, it's a PE teacher at the school who has suffered really awful post COVID effects. I mean, uh. like talk about a long hauler and, and I, you know, from what, from my understanding, this is a young, healthy guy and they can't afford to get sick. And as one teacher pointed out and kind of to our last conversation, there is a socioeconomic component to all of this. Um, whether that's how, how you travel if you travel, if you can afford to travel, if you can afford to get sick, if you can afford to not get sick, there's a socioeconomic relationship to everything. And we would be foolish to, uh, to think otherwise. Yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of lot to unpack here. And you know what, I, uh, or I, I can say with certainty that the story is not over. Um, Monday will be a very telling meeting. Uh, oh, I just, I just got a nice message from our teacher just now. <laughs> this is what I was talking, I'm sorry, ADD. I, I admit it, I was the ADHD student. Um, anyway. 
<laughs> well, thank you both so much for your reporting and, and even greater thanks for coming on and dissecting it more with me here on the upload. Of course, the school district is something that's easy, easily hidden from community conversation if you're not involved in that, but touches the entire community because all of those people work in, in town and um, we vote and our taxes go to this. So it, it is the heart of what's uh, the news this week. And I really appreciate your assistance in letting me understand it further. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks for listening. We hear from X Games gold medalist Alex Ferreira next. You are listening to The Upload, the weekly news review from the Aspen Daily News. Remember, if you don't want us to talk about it, don't let it happen. I'm Allison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Drop me a line at upload at aspendailynews.com. Also this week, while the pandemic has hit the restaurant industry particularly hard, news has come through of expanding businesses and new additions to the foodie scene coming to Aspen. The Glenwood Springs mayor has deleted his official Facebook page following threats. And as locals continue to battle emotional strain and mental stressors of COVID fatigue, a panel of experts is here to help. All of that is online at aspendailynews.com. Two-time X Games gold medalist and Olympic silver medalist Alex Ferreira will be competing in the ski superpipe without the sounds of his hometown fans in the background this weekend. The local was part of the X Games opening media panel this week and previewed the socially distanced, primarily virtual, extreme snow weekend ahead. Alex, great to see you. And how is uh, quarantine in Aspen? Yeah, first of all, thanks for just having me. This is great. You guys are all awesome. But Aspen was amazing. I actually was skinning as soon as quarantine was set in place. So I live right at the base of Highlands. I was very lucky and fortunate to just go ski outside my front door. And then I just enjoyed summer, a lot of biking, a lot of hanging out with my friends. And we actually got to go to Mount Hood to do some skiing and snowboarding, which was awesome. It's just so beautiful and warm and it's just awesome summer vibes. So everything has been really, really good on my side of things. Love to hear it. And you got to test out the Yell super pipe in Aspen. How is it? I got to ski the pipe. It's absolutely fantastic. I think Justin's been cutting it. I forget his last name. Sorry, Justin, but he is doing such a phenomenal job. And it was beautiful, sunny, 45 degrees, mid-jan. It was awesome. Love it. Can't wait to get out there. You also, are you filmed in the backcountry after last X Games? Um, how was that experience for you, getting outside the pipe into the backcountry? It's an amazing experience. It's, it's a lot of responsibility, but it's also a lot of freedom. So it's a beautiful combination, I guess you could say. It was intense in moments, just like it is in the pipe, but I feel that you work so much harder in the backcountry because you sled to the zone, and then once you get to the zone, you have to build it, and then once you build it, you have to hope that the conditions stay perfect and great, and then... Then you got to hit it and that's scary and just the whole experience is it's just overwhelming but overwhelmingly beautiful at the end when it all comes together so it, it was really it was awesome love to hear it overwhelmingly beautiful like you're flowing hair right now man you're looking good <laughs> um, so we won the last two um super pilot competitions and this year obviously going for a three-peat are you doing anything 
different coming into year number three to feel like a little bit more pressure. You know, I just hear the word three feet and I start to get nervous and I'm not even competing. So <laughs> are you having to like learn new tricks or what's going on with your, uh, your preparation this year? Yeah, I would say that everybody is just so good now and there are no excuses. You have to do your absolute best and you have to push yourself to do new and incredible stunts. So I'm just learning every single day and I'm definitely trying to put in my run this year back-to-back 14s, which I don't really think has been done before, but if it could be pulled off, I would be extremely happy with myself regardless of the position that I end up in. And yeah, the three-peat, the trinal, it would be it would be awesome. So I'm definitely thinking about that and I want that. Definitely rooting for you, that's for sure. Obviously, the fans in Aspen, your hometown, has been a huge part of just your your energy and everything. Um, how are you feeling coming into this event, knowing that there won't be the screaming fans at the bottom? Yeah, I've been asked that question quite a bit, actually. And I'm actually, I'm super grateful. I love it when the fans come. They've contributed to my success a great amount, no doubt about it. But I am very excited to just focus on the skiing. For once in my life, it's my busiest week of the year, and I'm just going to ski and put my music in and not worry about anything. So I'm taking it in a very positive light. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Thanks for listening to The Upload. I'm your host and producer, Allison Bektesh. You can subscribe to the show through Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Do you want to be on the show? Do you have thoughts you want to pass along? Drop me a line at upload at aspendailynews.com. Thanks to Erica Robbie and Megan Tackett for being on the show today. This is the Upload Podcast from the Aspen Daily News. Listen, discuss, decide.